This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. We welcome you to the Black Thursday edition of Radio Parallax. We just made that up, but boy, aren't you getting tired of it was like Black Monday this week earlier for on the internet purchasing, and last week it was Black Friday after Thanksgiving as people begin their uh, holiday mania of shopping? Well, in an odd sort of way, being Black Thursday is somewhat appropriate for today's program. Lord knows, we try and be upbeat and put a good spin on things we find in the news, but of late... This correspondent is feeling something like that surfer in Nazaré, Portugal, trying to go down the face of that, uh, you know, 80-foot-tall wall of water, and perhaps in our case, wall of bad news. There just is a lot of it out there. We're going we're gonna to do our best to um, talk about some good stuff, some fun stuff today, but I'm afraid we're going to have to address some of the bad things as well. People have asked over the years, uh, what is it we're trying to accomplish with Radio Parallax? And the answer I come back with, and which I'm sure Mr. Millen also comes back with, is that, well, we're just uh, trying to have a good time and inform people about some things they should know about. Much good can come of, I, much good, I think, can come of being informative and, and having a spot of fun while you're doing it. But sometimes you just have to step back and look at what's going on and say, oh my God. To borrow a line from Betty Davis, I would say, buckle your safety belt. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Sometime in our second segment today, we're going to talk to an old pal of ours, Roger S. Peterson. Roger wrote uh, a special editorial to the B, uh, titled Seven Reasons to Reject the Warren Report. But let us turn now to On This Date in History, which is how we like to start every program. Because we truly believe, as George Santayana once said, that those who do not know history are condemned to repeat it. Although we do suspect that a more correct sentiment was expressed by an anonymous wag who said, even those who know their history are still condemned to repeat it. But at any rate, our date in question is the 5th of December. It was on December 5th in 1492 that Christopher Columbus reached Hispaniola which today is divided between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. It was his last discovery on his first of four voyages to the New World before he returned to Spain to a hero's welcome. And you know, the story of Columbus's voyages to the New World are something we should talk about in, in 2014. Make a note of that, Mr. McMillan. On December 5th in 1791, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart died at the age of 35 in Vienna. Sadly, he was buried in a pauper's grave. And I hope all of you have seen the excellent, uh, I believe it was Milos Forman's uh, version of Amadeus, which won the Oscar some years back. Marvelous movie, but apparently F. Murray Abraham's uh, Antonio Salieri was not really behind the death of Mozart. And just to digress slightly, Mr. Merlin and I were looking at uh, JFK, Oliver Stone's, epic film from 1991, and, and did have to admit that they took a few liberties with what David Ferry had to say. I wrote our pal Jim D. Eugenio to ask about this, 
And he more or less confirmed that uh, the so-called confession of David Ferry the night before he died was, well, let's just say they took artistic license. Anyway, on December 5th in 1848, a statement by U.S. President James K. Polk confirmed the existence of gold in California and encouraged the Great Gold Rush of 1849. On December 5th in 1926, Battleship Potemkin, Russian director Sergei Eisenstein's film based on a real mutiny aboard a Russian ship in 1905, premiered in New York. The depiction of the Tsar's troops firing at people as they flee down the steps of Odessa is one of the most famous scenes in movie history. And finally, Mr. McMillan. On December 5th in 1933, the 21st Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was ratified. It simply repealed the 18th Amendment to the Constitution and brought an end to an era of national prohibition of alcohol in America. The prohibition movement began in the early 19th century when certain Americans concerned about the adverse effects of drinking began forming temperance societies. When the 18th Amendment passed, as you well know, dear listener, large-scale bootleggers and organized crime flourished. Because it failed to fully enforce sobriety and cost American taxpayers billions of dollars in the process, Prohibition lost popular support in the late 20s. And for more on that, we refer you to our own archives for the great chat we had with author Daniel Okrent on the subject of Prohibition. And uh, before we do our quote and quip and stat and joke, etc., I do want to note, I guess in keeping with our Black Thursday theme, that Comet Ison is clearly not going to be the comet of the century. You know things are going to be bad when you see headlines like Hubble Telescope Best Hope for Locating Ison Comet. Yes, apparently fragments of this comet survived its uh, near pass around the sun, but they're not sure uh, how much, and they're really not sure that we're going to be able to see it very well come the rest of this month. In fact, we might not see anything. So I guess the $7 I spent for the Discover Magazine special edition, The Great Comet of 2013 issue, (laughs) may not have been a good investment. But uh, in partial consolation, we would note, dear listener, that if you go out after sunset and look in the west, you'll see a pretty spectacular Venus off on the horizon. Venus is currently at about its greatest angular separation from the sun, which I think uh, is about 47 degrees. It is putting on quite a show, as is Jupiter, which can be seen above and to the left of Orion. Our quote of the day comes from the poet Stanislaw Lech, who said, No snowflake in an avalanche ever feels responsible. Our quote of the day comes from actress Nicole Kidman, who told Vanity Fair recently, I didn't find what I was looking for in fame. Adding, so I went, okay, this is not for me. Does uh, anyone want to make any book on whether Nicole Kidman becomes a recluse? Because, frankly, we have our doubts she's going to turn away from fame completely. And our bonus quote of the day comes from actor Jeff Bridges. We've been sitting on this one for a couple weeks. I did not know this, but apparently a Hollywood's leading man has been married for 39 years. He was filming in Montana and ran into a Susan Geston, who was a waitress in a local restaurant. They fell in love, and theirs is now one of Hollywood's most enduring marriages. But he did tell the Daily Mail he has some regrets, starting with not being a better lover. 
which is something that just you hate to hear out of a Hollywood leading man, don't you think? And you expect Rodney Dangerfield to jump in with, I'm a bad lover. I caught a peeping Tom booing me. Which I think will serve nicely as our joke of the day. Our anecdote of the day is as follows. While rehearsing a scene being performed poorly, Sir Herbert Beerbaum Tree, the actor and theater manager, instructed a young actor to step back. The man complied. And when Tree later stopped the rehearsal again with the same request, the actor again obeyed. But when Tree made the request a third time, the actor protested. But should I step back further, I'll be right off the stage. Tree raised an eyebrow. That is correct. Now, we'd heard that attributed to uh, Alfred Hitchcock. When we asked Norman Lloyd, who'd worked with Hitchcock about that, he drew a blank. Well, now we know why. Our stat of the day? The mentally ill apparently smoke 30% of all cigarettes. Yes, apparently a survey conducted earlier this year indicated that smoking intensities as well as smoking rates were dramatically higher in the mentally ill compared with other Americans. Apparently, individuals classified as mentally ill in the study represented about 20% of the sample surveyed. The director of the CDC noted that several barriers help prevent mentally ill smokers from quitting. These include the symptomatic relief that some mentally ill people experience with smoking, marketing efforts by tobacco companies directed at the mentally ill, which, frankly, I'd like to know more about, and mistaken beliefs by healthcare providers that smoking cessation may worsen patients' mental illness. And, of course, some noted in regard to the study that, uh, well, people have been at psychiatric hospitals witnessing cigarettes being handed out to patients as rewards for good behavior. Two reviews conducted with this report indicated that mental health facilities have used smoking privileges as rewards. Bad idea. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week last week for Advocates for Ebonics when it was revealed that a minority student group at the University of California, Los Angeles, is accusing a professor of racism for correcting grammar and punctuation in minority students' assignments. The group Students for Color said the grammar lessons are acts of microaggression that have created a hostile class climate. Professor Val Rust said he was just trying to help students but conceded that they, quote, don't feel that that is appropriate, unquote. Mr. McMillan does note that his father was a professor at Cal State University at Sacramento. He taught a course in race relations. And yes, he did correct bad grammar. And we will go on record as stating that we are in favor of correcting bad grammar, but should interject at this point that the opinion that one should correct bad grammar is that of the program alone does not necessarily represent that of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Although we're, we're pretty sure the regents are on board on this one. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for ignoring your alarm clock after a Connecticut woman admitted phoning bomb threats to three courthouses because she was running late and wanted to postpone her hearing on a minor criminal charge. Jennifer Chirico, 31, now faces 10 years in jail. And it was an ugly week last week for helping make ends meet with the news that a McDonald's website for its employees 
suggests that they return unwanted gifts and sell possessions to, quote, bring in some quick cash, unquote, during the holiday season. The McResource site also encouraged the company's minimum wage employees to break food into smaller pieces to feel more full and to, quote, stop complaining, unquote, because that just increases stress. Yeah, this is some good advice. Why don't we add, like, if your stomach is grumbling and you feel hungry, tighten your belt. You know, it's frankly, it's a little bit weird how in America we just think we can get by not paying people anything. Have we not learned anything from the fallen communist societies of the world? Having been in the past to, to, to several countries that were called communist, I, I would note that there, there was truth in the old joke that people used to make in these places that, um, well, the line was, as long as they pretend to pay us, we'll pretend to work. But, you know, McDonald's is a rather large corporation. They're, they're doing pretty well, all things considered. If their employees have to go on public assistance and, and, and have to cut their food into smaller pieces so they feel fuller, Jesus, something's wrong. This sounds like something out of Charles Dickens. Please, sir, I want some more. No, you can get by on the small fries. Just, just eat them slow. You, get, you feel fuller that way. And lots of water will help, too. Well, here's some vindication for something we talked about on Radio Parallax a couple months ago. Apparently, the Federal Aviation Administration has, has had a report they did on air safety leaked. What do we learn from this leak? Well, the FAA feels that pilot skills have become dangerously eroded because they rely too much on automated systems. To quote from New Scientist magazine, they noted that based on voluntary incident reports from concerned pilots, also from crash data, and also from evidence from cockpit observers on more than 9,000 flights, the report found that some pilots were, quote, reluctant to intervene, unquote, with automated systems or switch them off in risky situations. They noted that poor training and lack of manual flight experience meant some pilots had neither the knowledge to keep up to date with changes to automated systems nor the manual skills to take over when flight computers malfunction. Noted the magazine, these findings may help to explain a spate of recent accidents in which Colgan Air, Air France, and Asiana Airlines, which we talked about with our aviation correspondent Vladimir Vizarovica, crashed after crews failed to maintain a basic aerodynamic requirement. That would be adequate airspeed to stay airborne. Some other follow-up on a topic we've talked about previously. Peace in the Sacramento Bee by Jeremy B. White noted that, uh, that a for-profit college chain has been accused of intentionally deceiving prospective students and investors about the value of its degrees. Furthermore, according to uh, Kamala Harris, California's Attorney General, the company sought out socially isolated and disadvantaged students. In this case, we're talking about Corinthian Colleges, Inc., which boasted of unrealistically high job placement rates, as high as 100% in some cases, while according to internal documents somebody got a hold of, uh, they showed how to recruit students who are, quote, impatient, quote, unquote, or, quote, have low self-esteem, unquote, or can claim, quote, few people in their lives who care about them, unquote. Jesus. The piece notes that while they're organized under Delaware state law, Corinthian Colleges, Inc. managed 23 campuses in California and more than 100 across the U.S. and Canada. You may know them better as Healed College Schools in Fresno, Modesto, and locally in Rancho Cordova, Roseville, and Stockton. 
The piece went on to quote our Attorney General Kamala Harris as saying, the predatory scheme devised by executives at Corinthian colleges is unconscionable. Designed to rake in profits and mislead investors, they target some of our state's most particularly vulnerable people, including low-income, single mothers, and veterans returning from combat. We will have to follow uh, this story as it develops, but it does remind us of something we talked about something like 10 years ago here in Radio Parallax, which is that the system of providing loans to students by the federal government uh, can be and certainly has been abused the reason being that the schools get the money up front and the student is stuck with the loan, whether he, whether he or she has got a degree they can use or not. We talked 10 years ago about how uh, some of these schools were able to get uh, chartered or recognized by the state in spite of, uh, though in some cases, these schools were obviously bogus. Well, or at least should have been obviously bogus, but somehow they still pass muster with the state. One of them listed their faculty as Moe Howard, Curly Howard, and Larry Feynman, i.e. the Three Stooges. And one of them had a motto, which still resonates with us. It was, Solo por avibus est educatio. Sounds good in Latin, but translates into English as, Education is for the birds. So, we guess, you know, some scams are just perennial. Anyway, speaking about educational issues, we have to cite, I think, a letter from Jim Campo, who wrote the Sacramento Bee from El Dorado Hills some time back, and, and this one raises some questions that we may need your help on, dear listener. Wrote Mr. Campo, UC Davis is building fancy new dorms to cater to out-of-state and foreign students as part of Chancellor Katehi's 2020 plan. I have heard about the university's plan to favor foreign students over in-state students. The B article compares UCD to USC, a private university. It was my impression and intent when I paid my state taxes that the public UC system was built by the citizens of California for the education of those same citizens. I'm outraged that the UCD administration has lost its way and is catering to foreign students. If the system has insufficient support, it should be given more tax dollars. If the money is wasted, it should be given less. Dear listener, I'm sure that some of you have opinions on this. Please drop us a line at info at Radio Parallax and share them. There's also a stat that I suspect some of you know, which we'd like you to, um, to share with us, which is the percentage of foreign nationals that are students currently at UCD. Personally, I think that bringing in people from around the world to provide them with the UC education was a wonderful thing when I was a student many decades ago and is a wonderful thing now, up to a point. But we've heard that UC is making an effort to reach out to people from out of state and out of country because they pay a lot more in tuition. And this is a way to make up the deficits in the UC budget. Since I've been coming on this campus for something like the last 10 or 11 years to, to do this program, I've noticed that there does appear to be a rather dramatic uptick and then the percentage of students who appear to be foreign nationals. So my question to you, my dear informed listener, and I'm sure some of you are informed about this topic, what is that percentage? Can this be an effort by UCD and other University of California campuses to uh, gain more revenue? We think it's a legitimate question, and we'd like to look into this a little further with your help. All right, I don't want to go to break on a downer, so let, let's, find, let's find a an up topic to, to close with. Um, and and I, think that, I think I found one here. 
There is new hope for those of us who don't have as much hair as they would like. Apparently, hair geneticists at Columbia University have taken a look at uh, dermal papilla cells of mice, which were able to reproduce on Petri dishes, to um, come up with a new scheme for being able to mimic the mice hair follicles in human hair follicles. It turns out that the hair-growing dermal papilla cells of mice tend to clump in a certain way that human cells do not. So the researchers reasoned that if they could get the human cells to aggregate like the mice cells, they would perhaps do better when transplanted. And indeed, the team at Columbia achieved that by culturing the cells in hanging droplets rather than on flat Petri dishes. This allowed the cells to touch one another in three dimensions and apparently exchange the signals necessary to fully develop. Those cells then created follicles that produced strands of entirely new hair. It is felt that this could lead to major advances over existing baldness treatments, which pretty much involve transplanting hair from one part of the head to another. And although Mr. Maryland does raise the objection that a lot of people might object to having mouse hair transplanted, I would reemphasize that, no, sir, they're talking about human cells mimicking mice follicles. Oh. The bad news here, apparently researcher Angela Cristiano told ScienceMag.org that, uh, that uh, they may do clinical trials within three to five years. I'd say put on some speed, guys. Some of us that are watching that male patterned baldness <laughs> spread across their scalp just don't want to wait that long, okay? Anyway, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Give me down the hair, hair, shoulder length longer. Here, baby, there, mama, everywhere. 